Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. In many ways, a, um, a GRC professional is a, a counselor, a therapist, and a person of wisdom. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine. And once again, I mean, it's been a long time, uh, we have Dr. Bob Murray from Frotenbury Murray. How are you, Dr. Bob? Do you know, I think at the moment I'm surviving. I'll tell you more sort of in a couple of months' time. But at the moment, surviving. Yeah. Well, I think that we might be in luck because I do think that um, maybe this morning or last night um, on the news, I saw something about a, a, a rollout plan to sort of get things back to, I guess, quote-unquote normal. Um, so I guess we'll see it in a matter of months where we'll be, what we'll be doing, um, whether we'll be in offices or still working from home and that kind of thing. I think I think increasingly people are going to be working from home going forward, and this was this was something that was happening long before this virus started, uh, and this sort of brings up, I guess, one of the issues that um, that we were going to talk about, and that's this whole question of how do you how do you work uh, virtually uh, when you're in a position of having to persuade people, having to get them to do things differently, and so forth. Um, how do you how do you particularly in times when you know this is not going to be the 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 only pandemic that that we're going to have um the um world health organization has said that um you know these kind of things are going to come almost on a yearly basis going forward i mean you know we've had three pandemics uh since the turn of of the century which is quite phenomenal so people have got to get used to a working from home because that'll become the new normal. Um, and the other thing is they've got to learn how to use that to the best to the best advantage. How can they um, influence people? How can they manage their careers? How can they do all kinds of things? But there's one step removed, uh, you know. And the the people who can do that best. Um, are going to be the ones that 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 you know survive, if you like, in terms of employment. Mm. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because I guess it's, as you said, it's what we come to talk about today. So you know, obviously, in the past, for risk and compliance professionals, it has been a challenge to to sort of reach management and the board and to influence them mm. and to get them to move beyond the the bottom line, as it were, when it comes to complying with regulations and considering an ethical dimension. Um, mm. And of course, now we have this crisis situation uh, where you don't even have the benefit of being in the office and doing that face-to-face and shaking hands and getting a coffee. So I guess maybe we can roll it back um, a little bit and just talk a bit about why was it difficult when we were in normal, quote-unquote, circumstances? And then we can move on to talk about what has the crisis sort of emphasized in in that respect. Yeah, I think I mean that that's really sort of the the the, cu- the crux cr- question, if you like. Sorry, bubble it up. So, you know, one of the, one of those sort of alliterations. There. Um, it is a the 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 key question here. Um, you know, risk and, and compliance professionals uh, have always been squeezed between management on one side and the regulators on the other. And um, there's an additional squeeze in that the, the, uh, they get pressure from below um, to uh, let them off, if 
very largely let people off sort of does this really matter this too will pass and that that kind of that kind of attitude you've always had that um so the 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 risk professional has always been in in a a very very difficult situation um you know we work with with the risk departments of major international banks uh, uh and we find this all the time that their um, risk professionals, their compliance professionals are always sort of behind the eight ball, in a sense, in that the, there's, it's very difficult for them to actually get people to listen to them, you know, and to do what they, what they should do. The art of influencing really is about getting people committed to the relationship with you. Uh, and this is even more true and even more difficult when you're not physically with them because when you're physically with someone you can use all your senses as part of the influencing process uh, for example they can know from the pheromone that you give off that you're telling the truth or not um, that you have a regard for them or not um, that you want to bond with them and, and be friends with them or not um, you can tell from the tone of their voice you can tell from the the facial expressions that they have and you know on a sort of a, a fairly detailed way um you know much more and their body language of course and you know much more where they are now you're you're having to deal um with them when you can't uh use your sense your sense of, of of smell if you like your 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 sense of sight is very limited because you can't see their their body movements at all um your sense of hearing is maybe impacted by the level and the quality of the sound that you're getting there's a whole yeah. range of, of of issues like that so i think what you have to do um is to make yourself an essential part of their support network you know you do not influence people by telling them um uh the facts the, the the brain has no capacity to be in, to be influenced the neural system of, of a human being has no capacity to be influenced by facts or reasoning we don't do that we have no capacity to do that we used to think that perhaps we had a, a that this is the way that you were influenced you told people the truth as it was uh they'd be convinced by the facts of your case or the reasoning behind it we now know that's not true um so therefore you have to say okay what do i need to do um i've got to get them to see that i've got their back that i'm part of their of their their influence network that i understand them um and i'm interested in them uh not just the facts of the matter because they're irrelevant um do you know it, it in in many ways a um, a GRC professional is a, a counselor, a therapist, and a person of wisdom. And they'll be seen if they're, if they're good at their job, they're good at influencing, they'll be seen as a kind of a parental figure by the person they're trying to influence. And if you get to that point, then influencing is relatively easy. If you don't, it's unimaginably hard. 
when you do manage, when you do succeed, it's not because you've told people the, the, the facts and they've accepted the facts. They've accepted you. And because they've accepted you, then they've accepted your facts. Mm. You see, it's the other way around. Uh, and a lot of GRC professionals, in my, in my experience, sort of working with them in all kinds of industries, um, in my experience, the, the, the vast majority of them, unfortunately, still think that, that they're fact peddlers, okay. that they're reasoning peddlers, but that's not what they are. Does that make sense to you? I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. And it's interesting because anybody who's attended the conferences that which you've spoken to in the past or attended any of the events we've hosted with you would have heard you mention these essential elements of influence. So, you know, it's even with, um, I guess, our changed circumstances where like I'm talking to you now over Zoom, um, the, the rules remain the same, essentially. Is but that's what you're right. Saying. Yeah, that's right. And you have to use them uh, more cleverly. For example, if you're when you're talking to someone, um, make sure that the majority of the things that you say are questions, not, not, um, not solutions or answers. The trick with the human mind is that the, the human brain does which, um, the human brain directs the, 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 the system uh, to do what it itself has come up with. It tends not to do, that which someone else has suggested, unless they are committed to that, some, to that someone. So therefore, if you can get them to come up with a solution themselves, they'll see you not only as a person of wisdom and a person to be listened to, but someone who is interested in them and supports them. So therefore, you'll be the one that they go to um, for solutions. You'll be the one that they go to to talk about their, most, their, their, their trickiest issues. The other thing is that, that never ever, particularly when you're, when you're working virtually, never say that someone is wrong. Mm. Never say, yes, but you're wrong. As soon as you do that, you make um, yourself the enemy to the other person. It may not seem that. They may say, oh yes, of course you're right. I should have seen it that way and so on and so forth. But in reality, what you're doing is you're making them the enemy. So therefore, you've got to language very carefully the way that you, that, that, that you put. If you want to correct someone, don't say you're wrong. Say, you know, um, I'm sure you're right, but there's another way of looking at it. Do you mind if we talk about that? You know, um, this way you're letting them off the hook, in a sense. You know, you can both be right, but, you know... Um, at least they're, they're not feeling that you, that you think they're stupid. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the other thing is that, that make sure that when you're talking to people, you, you get them to understand that you're, in, that you're interested in them as people, not just in, in, the, in the regulation you're trying to enforce or whatever. Don't be a policeman. Mm. You know, be someone that, that who's shows that you're interested in them as people as well as in their business and as well as in sort of the way that the, the direction that they might or might not want to go. Um, and then the, the final sort of bit, if you like, on the how-to, um, and this again is 
terribly important when, when you're working um, uh, remotely. You've got to say, okay, what does this person need? What are their actual needs? Because unless you can work in what, you, what you're suggesting with what they need, mm -hmm. they're not going to accept it. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, so there are those, those kind of things, you know, you do those normally anyway, but if you're working remotely, you have so many more hurdles to get over. Yeah. That, that you know, you, in terms of influence, in terms of getting a decision from the other person, you know. And the other thing to realize, of course, that in this time, people have an enormous amount of fear. You know, I was talking to the CEO of a very, very large conglomerate um, uh, not long ago, about uh, a week, a week or so ago. And he was saying, do you know, everyone in our organization is scared from the, um, from the janitor to me. Um, we don't know whether this organization, as it stands, will be there in six months' time. Mm. You know, so the, the, the fear is palpable. And when people are afraid, they tend not to be very adaptable. Uh, they tend not to make decisions. And they tend to stick to their old ideas and their old assumptions and beliefs. You see what I mean? So therefore, you're, you're, you're again, this presents you with a hurdle. Yeah. And the only way around that hurdle, the only way around that hurdle is to give them the, the relational safety, which all human beings need. And if you find out what their needs are, what their needs of you are, what their needs of their people are, and tailor um, the advice that you, that you give them to that, then you're far more likely to, to, to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if I don't think we started recording at that point, but one of the first things you did when we started speaking was that you commented on my background. So you engaged with yeah. me on a personal level. And after you gave your first answer, you asked me a question, allowing me to give my input. Um, so that engagement for anyone who's listening carefully to this podcast, will see that that's happening in our conversation <laughs> right now, uh, where we're giving each other what we think um, the other needs and trying to read each other um, based on the behaviors. But that's um, it. I mean, yeah. if, I, if I could just add something to what yeah, you said, there, because what you said was, 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 was so great in the, the, the conversation that we're having is nominally about influencing people. What it really is, is about establishing the relationship between you and I and establishing the relationship between you and I and the people who are listening to the podcast. So there's, we're, we're not so much talking about a particular thing. We're talking about the relationship. No matter what we say, as a human being, you're talking about the relationship because 80% because of all our neurobiology and our genetics in some way is uh, devoted uh, to surrounding ourselves with a network of supportive relationships. And I, and I think of you as part of my support network. There you go. I, and then you did it again, of course. Um, but <laughs> um, but w something you said earlier, um, and I think is another topic we we're going to touch on, is talking about employees and an enormous amount of fear within organizations, you know, yes. not knowing where you're going to be in about six months. And something in our previous conversation, I think last week, Friday, when we spoke about doing this podcast, um, we spoke a bit about the treatment of employees and how 
management needs to start viewing them in future in terms of, I guess, rethinking um, productivity, um, thinking oh, of yes. the, as a worker beyond their KPIs and ROI, but as human beings and individuals who have a number of events that have put them in that place where they are. So can you mm. talk a bit about how you, we can we can influence as GRC professionals and still be aware of the human that you're talking to on the other side? Yeah, but I think, I, I think you know, what, what you said is absolutely correct. Um, one of the interesting things is that the employers that I've talked to, um, whether they're um, in the, the, the risk section, section of, their, of their companies or not, the employers that I talk to are coming to, the good ones are coming to a realization that they'll never have the same kind of employees and employer um, employee relationships again. They just simply won't exist. Um, for one thing, what the employees have learned is that there's no such thing as a stable job. Um, that every job, every company that you work with, it's going to be temporary. This is the new normal. And this adds to the fear. And it also means that, that um, you're going to get an immediate drop in productivity overall. There was a piece in the New York Times about that actually today, um, that you're going to get an overall drop in, 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 in productivity uh, because people are not going to be so engaged as they were before in right. their workplaces. No matter what the engagement scores are, and they're always phony um, in my experience, um, people are not going to be that, in, that engaged, which means that as a GRC professional, that's going to give you another hurdle to get over. Because with fear comes malfeasance, comes additional accidents, comes a whole range of things. Um, so employers now have got to overcome that um, by emphasizing safety. Mm -hmm. And there's a limited amount of safety they can offer. They can't offer employment safety because it's not theirs to offer anymore. Right. Um, they, all they can do is offer relational safety. We will be there to support you as long as you are here. And these are the practical ways in which we can do it. We are going to have your back for while you're here. Um, we are going to be interested in you for while you're here, not for the productivity that you can give, but for the very fact that you're loyal enough to stay there, you know? Um, and whether that's true or not, I mean, whether the people are just there in order to get a paycheck or not, this is the line that, that, that an employer has to take in order to get people at least committed pro tem to being in that, in that, in that position. Um, and this is gonna be very difficult for leaders. Um, not sort of the CEO thing, but down down below the sort of the mid-level leader here. Right. Um, this is going to make life very, very difficult for them and more difficult going forward. Um, and particularly getting people to comply when they're not going to be there for very long mm -hmm. and when they know they're not going to be there for very long yeah. means that more than ever, you're going to have to get them committed to the relationship with you. I'm not sure whether that answers your question totally, but I mean, that, that's, the, <clears throat> that's the interesting thing, I, the interesting part that I think that's going to come out of this. 
No, that definitely answers the question because I think that is one of the questions that our members have been asking um, themselves and each other um, in our discussion groups. You know, um, we did have a discussion group, which obviously can't relate the exact details, but the general gist of it was that, that very question, how do we, you know, for some organizations who are still onboarding at this time, um, how does that new employee um, engage with the organization and get that influence? Or how does the risk compliance professional engage with that new employee um, without having the advantage of having met that person in a literal face-to-face -face type of situation and yeah. form that important relationship? But that's right. So you have to say, okay, <clears throat> how can I make myself essential to this person? Not in terms of what I do, but in terms of the way I communicate with them, the, 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 this, the sense that I understand them, that I know what their needs are, that I know what, what um, their, their, even their family situation is. The more I'm interested in them, the more they're going to be willing to comply, to take the risk measures that I suggest or whatever. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're going into, into a situation where probably the majority of the people that you work with, you never will meet face to face. Yeah. Or very rarely yeah. you do. Um, we won't have the kind of office building going forward. I don't think we're going to have the kind of office buildings that we do where you go to work. The idea that you get on a train and you go to work, I think will become kind of quaint. <laughs> Down, down the line. Back in my day. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Back in my day, we all had to be here at nine o'clock. Can you imagine yeah. that? You know? <laughs> you know, that'll be, as I say, quaint. Yeah. It'll be something that you tell your grandchildren. You know, I got, I commuted to work. Would you believe it? You know, I didn't just plug myself in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, it, it's pretty funny. Um, but I guess another thing you mentioned that I wanted to pick up on as well is when you're talking about the, the stress and employee fair, and then you spoke about probably um, people not really wanting to comply because of all the pressure they're under. So I yes. mean, there's a sort of, I guess, the question for many risk and compliance professionals at the moment, and maybe leaders as well, is how is this going to impact us later on? Um, what levels of percentage of non-compliance are regulators going to discover in my organization once things go back to quote unquote normal? You know, um, it's, it's it that they can expect that it's going to be this widespread systemic issue within the organization, or is it just going to be a few people who felt really under the pump because they suddenly realized that they were either A, replaceable, or B, that the organization could just fall apart anyways? But I think, I think this is it. And I mean, what, what you've raised there is, is a fundamental uh, societal issue. I mean, uh, which no country in the world at the moment, with the possible exception of Finland, um, has found an answer to. Um, the first issue here um, is how can you make people in your society feel safe enough? If they feel safe enough, then they collaborate better, um, then they're much more likely to comply, they're much more likely to accept the risk measures that you put forward, uh, they're much more likely to be adaptable, to be innovative, and so on and so forth. In other words, the brain works better, faster, and more collaboratively if the person feels 
a, a measure of safety. Um, so firms, as you rightly say, firms in um, uh, corporations, uh, businesses won't be able to give that safety. It, it, it won't be there anymore. Uh, this is the big problem they're having in the United States because they have no safety net whatsoever. It, yeah. Very largely, if you've lost your job, um, you've lost your health insurance and everything else. And now they're trying to get rid of Obamacare, but that's another issue. The We have to say, okay, we're going to, how do we make people safe? And it may be that we bring in such issues as a universal wage. Um, that we bring in such issues as universal housing. Um, it may be that um, <clears throat> instead of a few people getting food stamps, everyone gets food stamps or something equivalent to that. Um, I don't know, but all I know is that for our society to survive, for if you like the idea of private enterprise to survive, we have to um, give that safety net. You know, it's a very interesting thing. You know, I always used to think that that the that the the flexion point between um, the amount of jobs created by um, uh, technology and the amount of, of jobs lost by technology, um, that the flexion point of job loss to job gain, uh, where there were more jobs lost than gained, happened in about the 1990s. And I was writing about that at that time, which shows you how old I am. Um, the, the, um, but there was a study put out, which was published just yesterday, which showed that actually that flexion point happened in 1982. Mm. And you can see this in the stagnation of average income since that time. If you trace it back to there, you find that more and more um, that safety started to fall off um, wages started to stagnate. And this has been going on for a very, very long time incrementally. Now it is kind of the, we're, we're up to maybe the, the, the final act of this. Yeah. You know, um, and given that situation, the GRC's, GRC professional's job is going to become increasingly difficult. You know, because if people don't have that safety, then they will not um, uh, be open to, to persuasion. They will stick at what they, the way they've always done things because that was the safe way of doing it, yeah. even if it's not. Yeah, so given to you know? that, I think the term maybe you used it in the past or someone else did, that heuristic um, form of thinking. Um, yes, yeah. absolutely correct. It's sort of the, the, there's a kind of a status bias that we have, which is another way of putting the same thing. Mm. Yep. Well, um, I guess uh, coming down, I guess, checking time, um, <laughs> um, really thinking maybe some practical tips that people could probably use, um, both in the context of um, this virtual engagement, how to meet, get that relatability, um, and maybe some more tips on how to break that heuristic thinking, because I'm sure that I'm guilty of it myself. Uh, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we probably all are yeah. um, because this is part of the, the, the way our genes work yeah. um, so sort of you know our genome is to blame um, I, th I think there's several things which, which, which are important 
in terms of how to. One is when you're talking to people, do not start off with making suggestions. Um, first, establish relationship. Um, ask far more questions than make statements. Um, use praise a, a lot. Um, and if or and if you can't think of anything to praise about a person or you don't think it's appropriate use a relationship statement like i enjoy uh, i really enjoy working uh, with you um you know i i i really enjoy our conversations i've been looking forward to this whatever um the other thing is that that make sure that you that you find out what their needs of you are and their needs of the other people that they need to, to, um, to influence so that you can give them a tools which they can use onward. Do you see what I mean? Most people you're trying to influence will then try and influence someone else. If it's the board, then it's the shareholders. Um, if it's the, the executive, then it's the board. Um, if it's your immediate boss, then it's his immediate boss, whoever that is. So you have to say, okay, what do they need? Find out what they need, what he thinks they need, and then give him the tools which will allow him to persuade on your behalf upwards. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and I think if you use those kind of tools, you know, the sort of good questioning and good listening, it's very, very important to listen very carefully, particularly when you're remote. Listen carefully. Listen to the words people use because people are telling you about themselves all the time, yeah. unconsciously. And they're doing that by using words. So think, is that an odd word? Yeah. Am I interested in that word? What is the follow-up question that I can ask given that word? I mean, the sort of thing that you're very good at, you know, for example. Yeah. <laughs> um, <I hope> so. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are, and so therefore, for example, if they listen to you the way you imp the, the way you sort of interview someone, they're learning a lot because they're you're listening to the words, to the phrases that I or whoever you're 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 uh, talking to are using, and using those phrases, those words to frame your follow-up question. Do you see what I mean? Um, so therefore, if people can do that more, then they're going to be able to influence, able to get sort of beneath the, the exterior of the person that they're, that they're dealing with and get to the real person. And that real person is the one you want to influence, not, not the, the positional label, which they happen to have at that moment. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. yeah, that's good. And I guess from a perspective of um, pretend I'm a risk and compliance professional in this space and I'm trying to engage, but I want to break the traditional ways in which I engage, break that heuristic thinking of what my assumptions of how I should engage with people. How are some ways I can sort of think about my thinking, um, be aware okay. of my thinking, I should say. Can I, can I give you an example? Um, it's a kind of little story and it's true. Yeah. And it's going to take about two or three minutes if, if that's, if we've got that time. Um, I, I was, um, uh, in, uh, in the United Kingdom not long ago, and, and I was at one of these parties um, where, you know, it's a sort of meet and greet things. And there was the CEO of a very large company, which I wanted to get work from, um, because I knew we could do them quite a lot of good in a certain number of areas. Um, 
I knew nothing about him. I'd never met him before. Um, so therefore, my job of influencing, I couldn't lean on the fact that, that, that we had anything in common that I knew of. Uh, what I did was I Googled him. Obviously, you should Google everyone um, that, um, that you're going to be having a, a meeting with. Um, you need to find out what you and they have in common, what interests, what, whatever it is. I found he was interested mainly in skiing. Um, I know nothing about skiing, absolutely nothing. I have never skied. I have no desire to ski. I think snow is horrible. It's cold, mucky stuff. Um, but what I did was frame a series of questions about skiing, um, which made him feel that I was interested in both him and the subject. And therefore, what I found was that he started to engage with me on other levels. And we set up a meeting shortly thereafter, and we got work from that firm. And it's, the, the, the technique is exactly the same. Be interested in, show interest in the person, show interest in what the person is interested in. And if you can do that, then you become to be seen by their neural system as part of their support network and therefore someone they're going to listen to and someone they're going to hire because they want to strengthen that relationship. And it's exactly the same thing with a, with a risk professional who has to get over a compliance issue with the board or with the executive or whatever else it is. Right, yeah, makes sense. Well, I think we're going to wrap this up, but I think there are a lot more questions that I have to ask. And there's always more questions, isn't there? Um, so <laughs> follow up podcast for sure. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Um, and looking forward to chatting with you again in the future. I hope so, Kwame, because I've, in, I've enjoyed it. Uh, terrific. Oh, one thing, um, if people are, are interested, I put, in, put out a, which you get, a, um, a once weekly newsletter. Mm. Um, and um, on, um, uh, on things that are happening in, in, in human science, which are um, of important interest to, to virtually everyone who's, um, who's employed, um, and um, which they can use pretty well directly. Uh, and if they'd like to, to go onto my website, which is www.fortenburymurray.com, portenberrymurray.com, uh, then they'll be able to sign up for the newsletter and I would thoroughly welcome them as to be part of my tribe. Excellent. Well, anybody listening to this podcast, just check the show notes below and I'll have a link down there. Um, Terrific. See his interesting article, especially the ones that talk about the, the ones about red wine are the ones that stick out most in my mind. For some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Merlot, yes, Merlot. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dr. Bob. Thank you. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute and the music was produced by Rob Neary.